Grand Risings. Grand Risings, this is Humble Dame coming to you guys. And I wanted to read to you from this wonderful book I've been reading by Marliana Donato. It's called Reintroduction to Self. Self and self are two sides of the same coin. The difference between the two beings, a simple matter of consciousness. The lower self is our everyday self. The self that survives on autopilot, conforms to expectations, and gets snagged on general illusion. The true self is the one that is compromised by our everyday self. The being that keeps our abandoned callings and talents for safekeeping. The unaffected and wild individual whose anonymity is never sacrificed for the sake of acceptance by the pack. This self invites and lives in the heart of our deepest vulnerability. It is capable of responding to life with sensual intensity while maintaining prudence. Diving into each day with eagerness and gratitude while knowing stillness. It is what some call the higher self or the, in ancient times, the genius or guiding spirit that nudges us closer to reaching our earthly potential. The self is most clearly seen in babies and children before they began to fully experience the social dynamic of interaction with friends, school peers and siblings. In other words, before the comparison snap traps shut and well-intended generational anticipation sets in, the self is the part of us that finds it instinctive to create and assures that the innate energy is honored and allowed to express itself. The self creates without thought or self-consciousness, making something from nothing, much like a spider spending everything she needs from her own body. The process of creation is independent of external influence and is not affected by the prospect of end results or product. The bird sings at dawn for its own delight, just as the true artist molds clay or words for his or her own inborn hunger to express what everyday language cannot. Many selves are lost in the survival of self. Too many die with no hope of, rest of resurrection. Creative impulse, like muscle tissue, can atrophy if not used, and worse, can be extinguished if it gets snarled in worldly concerns of grotesque ambition. On the practical level, creativity inspires us to prepare beautiful food, provide an inviting and safe haven for ourselves and our loved ones. Even express individuality through choices of clothing and personal style. We do not need to paint, sing, or dance in order to live creatively. The self sees everyday tasks as opportunities to express its uniqueness. The self is also the lover within, that part of us that loves without walls. It rarely knows fear, and when it does, it loves anyway. The self allows pleasure and personal integrity to dwell within the body without compromise. The busier our lives become, the more directions in which we are pulled, the lover within can wither like a plant without sunlight. In our modern world, views on sexuality are broadening to such an extent that the lines they used to divide and define our sexual behavior are almost erased. In this age of sexual freedom that declares anything goes and everything is okay, inhibition has been unchained, but unfortunately has created an emotional chism between lover and beloved. In order to rediscover Eden, we have to cut through all the distracting layers and find and again find the true essence of the beloved beneath sexual experimentations, novelties, fetishes, and hollow trends. There is a naked soul and a beating heart of our lover, and it can only be found 
when we remember that making love is a gift. It is a gift to have a body that can be an instrument of love. It is a gift to bless another human being with ecstasy. It is a gift to know another person only as a lover can. When we stand naked in front of another human being, we are giving all that we came into this world with and the only thing we truly own until death, the body, the temple of the soul. We would never enter a place of worship with selfish motivation or momentary lust for gratification or attention. We would not dirty the purity of a place of holiness with disrespect or dishonor or gossip or projections or enter with a false heart. Yet we do these things to our lovers and allow our lovers to do the same to us. In the age of disease and promiscuity and isolation, we must again see the body and the lover within as sacred instruments, holy places and gifts, not to be given in a moment's carelessness or hurriedness or horniness. We must practice self-control. Affirmation. I make room for my true self in my life. I create love with complete and uncompromised honesty. Wow, that was a mouthful and it was very beautiful. I love that rediscovering yourself or reintroducing yourself to yourself. And um, this is beautiful. I don't have anything else to add. You guys have a wonderful day. It's terrific Thursday here in my home and be blessed. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. This is Humble Dame coming to you guys. Let me get my music turned down here. This is Humble Dame coming to you guys. And I know that for this month, it is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And it's also Breast Cancer Awareness Month. I would like to wish all of the the women and uh, the men that have been impacted by those two different things. I'd like to wish you healing. Um, I do want to speak about an aspect of domestic violence um, that I have lived through um, as a child. And an aspect that is very, very unorthodox and unnatural to most, which is forgiveness, right? So I want to talk about sexual abuse. Sexual abusers are most often sex addicts. Sometimes they are reenacting their own sexual and physical violation. Sexual abuse generates intense and crippling shame, which more often than not results in a splitting of the self. Incest and sexual abuse offenders are fueled by internalized shame. Kaufman writes, the perpetrator I'm sorry, the perpetrator of the assault or violation also is shame based. Such acts, the acts of power and revenge born of impotence and fueled by a shame that scheme from forcible violation is a reenactment, a transformation of a scene of equal powerlessness and humiliation experienced by the perpetrator at the hands of a different tormentor. The victim, the target of revenge, is confused with the source of the perpetrator's shame. By defeating and humiliating the victim, the perpetrator is momentarily freed from shame. So, I mean, that's really, really deep right there. That's coming from Kaufman. And I am reading from John Bradshaw's books, one of my favorite books. It says the victimization could be incest, molestation, rape, voyeurism, exhibitionism, indecent liberties, or phone calls. In every case... There is an acting out of shame and a victimization of the innocent. Sexual abuse is the most shaming of all abuse. It takes less sexual abuse than any other form of abuse to induce shame. Sexual abuse is widespread. It is estimated that there are currently over 60 million victims of sexual violence. Our awareness of this problem has grown tremendously over the past 30 years. 
in the past, our understanding was limited to a kind of horror story, incest victim. Such stories involve physical hands-on sexual abuse. Today, we're greatly expanded our understanding of such abuse. In the Bradshaw on the Family, I presented a material on sexual abuse adapted from the work of P. Melody at the Meadows, a treatment center in Wickenton, Wickenburg, Arizona. The following is from Bradshaw on the Family. Sexual abuse involves whole family. It can be divided as follows. Physical sexual abuse. This involves hands-on touching in a sexual way. The range of abusive behaviors that are sexual include sexualized hugging or kissing, any kind of sexual touching or fondling, oral or anal sex, masturbation of the victim, or forcing the victim to masturbate the offender, or sexual intercourse. Number two, overt sexual abuse. This includes voyeurism or, or exhibitionism. This can be outside or inside the home. Parents often sexually abuse children through voyeurism or exhibitionism. The criteria for home, in-home voyeurism or exhibitionism is whether the parent is being sexually stimulated. Sometimes the parent may be so out of touch with their own sexuality that they are not aware of how sexual they are being. Okay, and then we have number three, covert sexual abuse. This is verbal. This involves inappropriate sexual talking, dad or any significant male calling women whores or cuts, or objectified sexual names, or mom or any significant female depreciate men in a sexual way. It also involves parents of caretakers having to know about every details of one's personal and private sexual life, asking questions about the child's physiology, or questioning the minute details about dates. Covert sexual abuse involves not receiving adequate sexual information. I've had several female clients who didn't know what was happening when they were uh, when they began menstruating. This is a form of sexual abuse of not enabling and not educating your children about themselves. And then it says boundary violation. This involves children witnessing parents and sexual behavior. They may walk in on a frequently because parents don't provide closed or locked doors. It also involves the child or the children being allowed no privacy. They are walked in on in the bathroom. They are not taught to lock doors or give permission to lock doors, their doors. Parents need to model appropriate nudity. Children are to be protected. Number four, emotional sexual abuse. Emotional sexual abuse results from cross-generational bonding. I spoken of enmeshment as a way of as a way that the children take on the covert needs of the family system it is very common for one or both parents in a dysfunctional marriage to bond inappropriately with one of their children the parents in effect use the child to meet their emotional needs this relationship can easily become sexualized and romanticized the daughter may be daddy's little princess or the son may be mama's little man in both cases, the child is being abandoned. The children and the, I'm sorry, the parents are getting their needs met at the expense of the child's need. The child needs a parent, not a spouse. P. Melody gives the following definition of emotional sexual abuse. She says that when one parent has a relationship with the child that is more important than the relationship they have with their spouse, there is emotional sexual abuse. Sometimes both parents emotionally bond with the child. The child tries to take care of both parents' feelings.
and says some sexual abuse comes from older siblings. Generally, sexual behavior from same-age children is not sexual, sexually abusive. The rule of thumb is that when a child is experiencing sexual acting out at the hands of a child, of another child, it is sexually abusive. And he goes on and talks about physical abuse, which is talking about corporal punishment. And uh, this is says violent offenders are shame based, says the ownership of children by parents and the belief that children are willful and need their wills broken accounts for the rationale of spanking children, ridiculing children and publicly humiliating the children. They believe that this is a form of love. Um, so this is very, very deep, guys. That was a lot to read. I read again from uh, John Bradshaw's book. This is Bradshaw on the family. You guys can go check that out. And again, I wish healing to all victims or people who have known victims of domestic violence and also of breast cancer awareness. There are some things that I'm going to come and speak about in the upcoming podcast about what we can do for making sure we're getting our mammograms, making sure we're doing our breast massages and also have a few um, products that may help with those processes as well. This is Humble Dame and I'm wishing you healing, love and light. You guys have a wonderful night.